Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, you and I are part of an extremely significant thing that's going on in history. And I say that to you not so much because of what I can see now, but because of what we are a part of that's been going on for almost 2,000 years. And we're going to see that in our passage of Scripture today. Uh, this is a new sermon series here coming from the book of Acts. Jesus says we're to take, be witnesses for him to the ends of the earth. And so the church has been in motion doing that. And we are a continuation of that. Uh, we are connected to what happened with Jesus and then with the apostles and the church, the body of Christ, which is, you know, all the believers, everybody who is trusted in Jesus. And then, of course, it's expressed in congregations like ours. And today, uh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to be in the book of Acts and we're going to be highlighting. We're not going to go through the entire book, but we're going to be highlighting the parts that are really important for us to remember so that we can be faithful to do our part in this hugely, eternally significant thing that God is doing through the church. And so today we're going to talk about the birth of the body, the birth of the body of Christ. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, that's page, I can't read it from here, something. Yes, 1253. And so the book of Acts is a continuation of the story. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each telling the story of Jesus and what his teachings were, each from a little bit of a different perspective. And then we get to the book of Acts where Luke uh, writes uh, what happened after Jesus left the earth. And so in chapter one of Acts, he talks about the last days of Jesus on earth. Jesus has risen from the dead and he shows up and teaches the disciples for 40 days. And then he leaves and he says, go wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so they did. And 10 days later, what we're reading here is what happens, okay? And Sergei, I didn't get a chance to talk to you uh, before we started. So after I read verse three, go ahead and go to that next slide, okay? All right, here we go. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and so Pentecost meant it was 50 days after the Passover, okay? And so that's a total of 50 days, and Jesus had been them with them for 40, and now they reached this point. The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Okay? Go ahead and go to that, Sergey. Would that get your attention? Yes. And it did get their attention. 
in verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, so uh, we're gonna talk about what this means a little bit more specifically in just a minute. But when it says speak with other tongues, it's talking about languages, okay? Um, if someone asked you what your mother tongue is, what would you say? Most of us would say English, but that's the idea. It's a language, and that's what the word means. In the 1600s, when the King James Version, which became the standard translation for English for hundreds of years, and still is comparison, uh, if they wanted to say languages, they used the word tongues. It's just, and if you look it up today in the dictionary, it's still one of the definitions for languages. And so he's saying here that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the speak, Spirit gave them utterance. So let's see a little more what's going on here. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And so the idea of the Galileans, the Galileans uh, had an accent, okay? They had an accent and they didn't speak Hebrew or the Aramaic the way the proper people did in Jerusalem. Okay, from, so they had an accent. And I don't know how to explain it, but have you ever heard any people with an accent, accent that you think, wow, they don't sound very smart? <laughs> now that's not fair or right, but you, am I the only one of you guys? I bet I could talk with an accent right now. You'd say, he doesn't sound very educated. All right, well, this is where the Galileans were. They, were. they were known, they weren't the highly educated people. They weren't the proper, everything exactly right in how they spoke. And now they're amazed that here are these Galileans and they're speaking perfectly in this language and this language and this language and this language. And then they give us a list of the languages. Verse nine, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues and our own languages, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Now, apparently there were some people there who didn't hear their language. And they respond in verse 13. Others mocking said they are full of new wine. They're drunk. And all they're hearing is babbling because they aren't hearing their own language. And I, I think this is probably Jewish people who lived there who were not believing. They weren't, as it describes in verse five, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, people who weren't devout, people who weren't open to what God was doing. And they hear this and it doesn't make any sense to them. All right, so we see all of these languages and this word tongue. So let's just talk about this word tongues just a little bit. In the English language, in the New Testament, uh, tongue or tongues is used 48 different times. Okay, you'll find that in our New King James Version of the Bible. And uh, I shouldn't say version, translation. New King James translation of the Bible. And 
One time it's used for the, the words we speak, the kind of words that we speak. It's like this. If somebody says, boy, that person has a sharp tongue, what do we know about them, right? They can really say things, cut you. Or somebody has um, a tongue like butter, right? I mean, just smooth. And that's one time in our New Testament it's used that way. 17 times it's talking about this right here, a physical tongue. Right. And then 30 times it's talking about a human language, a language that someone in the world would speak. 24 of those are with reference to what the kind of thing that's happening here, where somebody was speaking a language they never learned. How could they do that? It's God, right? It's a God thing. God enabled them to do that. Uh, <clears throat> and so... This is what's going on, so we want to be really clear. And, and by the way, this event that we see here happens two more times in the New Testament, okay? Uh, happens when Peter preaches the gospel to the Gentiles, who the Jewish people didn't really think could be saved, and then they get saved, and they see this, and Peter says, wow, he says, the same thing happened to them that happened to us back in the beginning, which was eight, nine years earlier, okay? So we're not talking about an ongoing thing. This is a very unique kind of thing. It happens again with the Apostle Paul when he runs into some uh, disciples of John the Baptist who didn't know who Jesus was. So um, God is fulfilling some things that he had promised through um, Jesus when Jesus said that this would happen, this kind of thing would happen. He said that it would. All right, so we're talking here though today, we wanna see about the birth of the body. And, uh, but let's continue talking through here, and then we're, we're going to identify some things that are really important for us to remember. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them. And so now he is speaking just in the most likely the Aramaic language at this time, the one that they all would have understood. So he's standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come, to, and this is what Joel had written in the Old Testament, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And so he's saying, this is like what Joel was talking about, that the Holy Spirit has come in a very special way, okay? And it's no longer just the priest or just the prophet who's speaking for me. It's, it's coming upon all believers. And then he continues, he's talking about the last days. This next part has not happened yet. Verse 19, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And we read about those kinds of things in the book of Revelation. Those are things that will occur in the future. And then he says this, this is what he wants to get to. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so he's beginning to preach to them uh, about Jesus, and that's his plan. So let's continue. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. So he came to accomplish God's purposes. God knew all about this. It says, he says to them, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Just real quick, if, if you were involved, I mean, you remember there was a point in time in the trial of Jesus, right? There's a point in time when Pilate is really trying to not have Jesus killed. He wants to let Jesus go. And so he brings out a, a prisoner that he thought would be popular with the people and Jesus and says, hey, which one would you like? And he's hoping they'll take Jesus, but instead they said, no, give us Barabbas, remember? And say, well, what should I do with Jesus? And remember what they did? They're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So we undoubtedly have people here who were part of that. And they're saying, this Jesus whom you had crucified, guess what? He's come back to life. And he's God. Would that make you a little worried? I think it would make you worried, right? Think, Whoa, what's going on here? Wait a minute, really? Verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, so he goes back and quotes from the Psalms that David had written. He says, David said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. Then talking to God, he says, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You've made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. And as it turns out, verse 27 is actually a prophetic words about Jesus and what he was saying and what he did. Let's read verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so guess what? Has G David's body decayed? Yeah. We got, you could go look, the bones are there, all right? But in the, the, the prophet, he see, he's saying they won't see corruption, he won't decay. And so verse 30, he says, therefore being a prophet, David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, the Messiah, the Savior and Lord, would be a descendant of David, knowing that. Verse 31, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, which by the way is the place of the dead, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. So we have seen him, he, was, he didn't lay in the grave in decay. He didn't, God raised him up and didn't let him stay in the place, he's risen. Verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, talking about Jesus, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Okay, what, you, what we're talking about, right? This, you heard the wind and you've, maybe, maybe they saw the tongues of fire, I don't know, but they certainly heard the, all the languages being spoken by these uneducated Galileans. He said, that's what you're seeing and hearing, what God is doing. 
Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is the one who ascended into heaven. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. All right. So the Holy Spirit has come. They've heard these people speaking in their, their first languages, uh, the wonders of God and the things that he has done. And then Peter has now explained to them what's going on. And he said, it's this Jesus that you crucified, that God has raised. It's, it's about him. It's about him. And then verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to, the, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay. So they have had a change of heart now, haven't they? A change of heart. Okay, yes, we were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus, but wow, we see now that that was not the right thing to do. And they believed in God, they believed in his word and all that kind of stuff, but now they realize that Jesus was the promised Messiah. What do we do? What can we do? And so in verse 38, Peter says, it says, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so it's for everyone who comes to him. The Holy Spirit is for every person who turns in faith to the Lord. Now, let's look at verse 38 because it, it can be a little concerning if we aren't careful. Um, it says this, again, let me read it. Then Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And the remission of sins means the taking away of the penalty. We could call it forgiveness, okay? For the forgiveness of sins. But it sounds like he's saying, let me ask you, as you just read that on the face of that, how do you get forgiveness of sins according to this? If you just look on the face of it. What's it say? Get baptized for forgiveness, right? That's the way it seems on the face of it. Be baptized for the remission of sins. But first, let's go back. He talks about repent. And this is the idea of saying, wait a minute. And we see it. We've been going the wrong way. We've been believing the wrong things. We've been doing our thing, not God's thing. And that's the way all of us have to come. And so we repent. Repent means to turn from something to something else. Okay. We don't use the word this way, but if I'm going this way and all of a sudden I say, wait a minute, I think I'm supposed to be going that way. I've changed, haven't I? Well, this is what this word repent means. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, where you're saying, oh, wait a minute, the way I've been going is not the right way. And so they're making that change and they're believing. Okay, that's what we do when we believe. And then he talks about, again, be baptized. Um, first, let me just say this. In the early days in the church here, and the apostles, in their mind, there was if you believed, you got baptized. If you believed, you got saved, you got baptized. There was no separation in their mind. Of course you did. Now, we're in a world and a culture today where you know, a lot of people, we don't know what baptism means, you know, and why I was baptized as a baby, which really isn't Bible baptism, all this kind of stuff, right? And so it takes a little while for us to help people understand where they're at once they receive Christ. Uh, but they saw it all together. 
But as the, the rest of the Bible is being written and the theology is laid down, it becomes very clear that these are distinct things. Repenting and believing, repenting and putting your faith in. That is how you enter a relationship with God, right? That's how your sins get forgiven. That's how you receive eternal life, okay? And so we talked last week about baptism, that it was what, a, a symbol of, of our relationship with Christ and, and what he did for us. But, so, but let's talk about this. Even with the way it's written, we can understand this. So what if, let's say I go and visit my grandkids, my, my family, grandkids, and I discover that one of them is in their bedroom. And the other kids say, yeah, he can't come out. Oh, so I knock on the door and I go in and I say, why do you have to stay in your bedroom? And he says, well, I have to stay in my bedroom, what? For disobeying my parents. Now, when he says that, does he mean I have to stay in the bedroom so I can disobey my parents? Was that clear? Is that what he means? No. He's saying, because I have disobeyed my parents, here I am. If you see a picture of someone, with a, a, they're holding a trophy in the picture, and you say, well, okay, so what, what do you have a trophy for? Well, I received this trophy for winning the race. Okay, so when it says here, uh, be baptized for the remission of your sins, it doesn't have to mean, oh, baptism is what brings you to forgiveness. No, I'm getting baptized. Why? Because my sins are forgiven. Because I have believed in Jesus, okay? So very clear that we are not saved by any physical acts that we could do. There are no rituals we can follow. There are no good deeds that we can do, nothing. We are saved by putting our faith in what Jesus did for us and putting our faith in him as savior, okay? All right, so let's, now we got the overview of what's going on here. In verse 40 and 41, let's read what the response was. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So that's a bunch of people, isn't it? Okay. All right, so let's talk about what we've seen in this passage. And, and uh, what's happening here? This whole idea of the Holy Spirit coming in this miraculous way and enabling them to speak languages they had never learned. And then the preaching and, and the, so the people could get saved. And then when they get saved, they receive the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean they speak languages that they don't know, but they receive the Holy Spirit. In the first chapter of Acts, Jesus said this stuff was going to happen. But here's what he said. He says, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wait, baptized with the Holy Spirit? What are, what are we talking about? So let's, let's see if we have this idea of spirit baptism. Let, let's work our way through this. So uh, the word baptism, we, we know what that means, most of us. Go ahead and go to that, Sergey. means to be put into. The actual Greek word that's translated baptism means to put into. It's they, this word was used for people when they dyed cloth. They took the cloth and put it into the dye. Okay, that's where the word came from. And uh, so they get it put into. And that's just a general term. So the word itself, when you hear the word baptism, does not necessarily mean that water is happening. Um, okay, all right. 
Water baptism, we've talked about it. It means to be immersed in water as a symbol of your union and new life in Christ, right? I'm showing people, just as Jesus died for me and rose again, so his death counts for me and his resurrection counts for me. We'll see another verse that talks about that in a little while. All right, so baptism, we know water baptism. So what is spirit baptism? So the word spirit comes from the Greek word pneuma. Now that might sound familiar to you, um, if you have lung problems and you go to the doctor, you go to see who? The pneumatologist, right? If you get that the, the virus or bacterial pneumonia, okay? So we get that. That's, that's where that word comes from. Uh, but it literally means, it can mean these four things. It can mean spirit. It can mean Holy Spirit. It can mean wind. And it can mean breath, right? So how do we know which it means? Well, don't we have words in English that are like that, that have more than one meaning? How do we know what it means? By the context, right? What's going on there? And we can tell, right? And so this, this word spirit here, Jesus talked about, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's what he meant, the Holy Spirit. So what is spirit baptism then? Because there's a lot of misunderstanding about this. Spirit baptism is the moment we believe the Holy Spirit comes into us and baptizes us into the body of Christ. That sounds funny, baptizes. What's the word baptize mean? To put into. And so that moment I believe, for me that was about nine o'clock on April 4th, 1970, that moment I, I placed my faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit immediately entered into me and took me and put me into the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, remember, is Christ's presence in our world, in his people. So it's all believers uh, for all time, really. Everyone who has come to, to believe in Christ is part of the body of Christ. And we think body of Christ because Jesus was here at one point in time walking around, wasn't he? He had a body and he still has one, by the way. But he was here and he touching and doing, walking, all that kind of stuff. Well, he left and then he sent the Holy Spirit into us. So God's in us, the Holy Spirit. I, I should have said that Holy Spirit is God. Just like God the Father, just like God the Son, Holy Spirit is God. But so he moves into us. And now my body becomes part of how he touches the world. Right? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has moved in, when you go through life and through the world and you're doing those things that you think God wants you to do, you see, you're like the body of Christ, but then when we put us all together, is Christ present in our world? Yes, he is. He's present in his body, in his people. And there's this, that is individual, but that is also all of us together. And so this is what spirit baptism means. All right. And so on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and never before had all believers had God himself living within them. The Holy Spirit worked before this time. The Holy Spirit would help people, but he didn't live in people and change them fundamentally on the inside until this time. And so on the day of Pentecost, he moved into these people and he created the body of Christ and put them all into the body. So let's, let's see, There's a, I'm just gonna look at a couple of verses here to show these two things, Christ coming in and then us getting put into the body. In Romans chapter eight, it says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So if the Holy Spirit has not come in, guess what? You're not a Christian. 
They're not saved. Because every person who comes to faith, the Holy Spirit moves in. That is just an absolute truth, okay? All right, now, as far as the body of Christ, verse 12, it says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. What's the word baptized mean? Put into. For by one spirit we were all put into one body, the body of Christ. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. And so there's this unity. One of the things that binds us together is the Holy Spirit within us. Now, let me ask you a question. Some of you, I know have, I've heard you say it. I know I've experienced it. Have you ever found yourself in a situation, maybe you were in a room with some people and there were some people you didn't know there and you interact a little with them. All of a sudden you're looking at someone and you just say, I think that person's a Christian. Anybody ever had that experience? I have. It doesn't happen all the time and it's not magic, but there is something that we have, a connection that we have because God's spirit is in them and God's spirit's in me and sometimes you can just sense it, okay? And so we have this united thing going on in our, as the body of Christ. Okay, now, so let's, let me make sure I'm not leaving something out I wanna, oh yeah, okay. If you remember the story, just talking about the body of Christ here, but if you remember the story of Adam and God made Adam, says he formed him out of the dust of the ground. And it says, then the Lord breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living being. Okay. Well, that's sort of what happens on the day of Pentecost is the breath of the body came in, the life of the body. It, it, and it came alive, the body of Christ that had never existed before. And now it's there and it's very much alive. All right. Three things that I, I think would we, we would really do well to understand and go away from here today with. And the first one is this, that God gave us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live genuine Christian lives. Now, um, if all goes well and my mind serves me well, as we get down to the end, I'm gonna try to give you some practical understanding of what this is like, okay, with the Holy Spirit. But anyway. God gave us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live genuine Christian lives because you can't live a genuine Christian life without him. You can't. You're on your own. You're doing your own thing. And it just isn't possible because what needs to happen is that God has to change us and do it in our lives. And so he, he, this is why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter six, it says this, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized by the Spirit, right, put into the body, we're baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. Let's continue. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism by the spirit into death. Go on. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so he's saying that God took us and put us into Christ, into the body of Christ. And that gives us this new life, okay? So this is why he moved in, that we might have this new life and able to live it. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, walk in the spirit. What does that mean, walk in the spirit? Well, we've talked plenty of times when we see the Bible talking about how we walk, what does it usually mean? Don't be afraid to say. It's how we live. 
It's how we're walking through life. That's the idea. So it's how we are living our lives. And so he says, live your life in the spirit. Well, what's he mean by that? Well, we're going to get to that. Walk in the spirit. And this is important because how can we, how can we get to the point where we're able to say no to those fleshly temptations that come our way? By learning to walk in the spirit. That's what he said, right? Walk in the spirit and what? You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we want to be walking in the spirit. And then he, so he kind of summarizes a few verses later. He says, if we live in the spirit, we've been saved. We've received the life of God in us, an eternal life. All that. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So God gave us this spirit to enable us to be able to live the way he wants us to live. All right. The second truth that we need to understand is this, that God empowers the church that's us, that's the body of Christ. God empowers the church to accomplish its mission as together we are filled with and walking in the Holy Spirit. So as, as I uh, let the Holy Spirit fill me and I, I, I try to live my life this way, as I, and as you do it and you do it and you do it and you do it, all of us together as we do that, then we come together as the church, we are able to do what God has called us to do. All right, so what did he call us to do? Go and make disciples of all the nations. Well, that's kind of a big job, isn't it? That's a huge job. He gave it to his church, to us, congregations like us, but to the whole body of Christ. Um, how can we do that? I'm not able to, you're not able to, but together we, filled with the Holy Spirit, are able to. This is what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before he left. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me to the ends of the earth. And so as we gather together, submitted to the Holy Spirit, following his lead in our lives, we can accomplish what God has given us to do. And we are part of reaching the ends of the earth. We're not going to reach all of it ourselves, but we're part of it. We're part of what Jesus started there on the day of Pentecost. Okay? The third truth is this. And this is where it can get more practical for us. The key to our experience of the Holy Spirit in us and his powerful working through us is this. It's our surrender to and saturation with the word of God. All right. This book, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Fill yourself with this book. Do you want your thoughts to be guided by the Holy Spirit? Let your thoughts be guided by this book. So let's look at a couple verses. Uh, in, um, well, first let me say, so the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, that's what we're looking at here. So go ahead to the verse there, Sergei. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. And then he, he describes what's going to flow out of this. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things, that should say to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's go to the next verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Go back, Sergey, to that. No, the other way. Okay, be filled with the Spirit, and this stuff happens, and do this. And then the next one. 
be filled with the word. Same thing, isn't it? Very much the same thing, okay? So how are we going to be filled with the spirit? Go ahead, Sergey. Be filled with the spirit by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So you want to saturate yourself with what God says in his word because it will begin to change your heart. It will begin to change your mind. It'll change how you do things. And as you do that, this idea of being filled with the spirit is really opening yourself up and letting him have control. You're never going to get more of the Holy Spirit, but he can get more of you, right? And that's as you open up and, and you give him more. And so when I think saturate myself with the word of God, here's what I think of. Okay, I like pancakes, but I don't eat them very often anymore. I almost hardly ever do, and there's a reason for that. Uh, it's, it's because I, I like pancakes with syrup. <laughs> Lots of syrup. I will take my knife and, or fork and poke holes in the top of the pancake before I pour the syrup on so it gets in. I like my pancakes saturated with syrup. That's why I don't eat them much anymore. <laughs> but the idea is so you take your, your fork and you go to cut it and as you put some pressure on it, guess what happens? S syrup squishes out. Oh man, I, I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> all right. But I'm saturated. So here's the deal. You saturate yourself with the word of God. You read it. You think about it. You, you learn about it. And you read it some more and think about it. Maybe you memorize some verses to really understand it. And you're doing all this kind of stuff. And then what happens when the Holy Spirit then squeezes you a little bit? What comes out is what you saturated yourself with. And so this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, he can come in and we've been saturated with the word and, and he has free reign to, to show us things and tell us things and lead us in things. All right. And so if we're going to accomplish what we are a part of, which is Acts 2, we are a part of that. We're not like, well, we're kind of associated with it. No, we are absolutely right in the middle of what God started and is still doing. We have to let the Holy Spirit have his role in our lives. And, and so here's the way this, this might look in some practical sense. So let's say I'm interacting with someone at work and, and I'm having a hard time with them. You know, there are just some difficult people, right? Sometimes I think it might be me that I'm the one, but it's difficult people. So I'm in, in the Word and I'm reading about how do we get along with people? What's God's wisdom in Proverbs about how we interact with people? What does Paul say? What does love, the love of Christ have to do with this? I'm doing all of that and I'm thinking about it and I'm pondering it. And, and I get to work and first thing I'm there, this person does what they always do that just irks me. But you know what happens? The Holy Spirit says, no, let's respond differently. And not, not audible words. You understand what I'm saying? But all of a sudden I have this sense. Wait, respond differently. A soft answer turns away wrath. That's what the word says. Holy Spirit reminds me of that. I remember it, whereas I haven't been remembering it before. Okay? Sometimes it'll be a situation, and, and I've, you know, I find myself around you know, people lots of times that all of a sudden I'll get a sense that talk to that person. And I'm convinced that's a prompting from the Holy Spirit. 
and I don't know where it's going, just talk to them. And sometimes it opens up to something big, sometimes it doesn't. I don't know that I always get it right, but it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit's working in me. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt you and say, um, no, this is not a good idea. Don't go there. You see things before you get in a bad situation. The Holy Spirit can do these things in our lives and enables. And then when we get the opportunity, we're actually talking to somebody about the gospel. Man, the Holy Spirit will take those words and stir the hearts of that person like nothing else can. The, one of the early times for me that I really, really consciously was aware of uh, the Holy Spirit's ministry in me like this was I, I was the associate pastor here for a lot of years and the senior pastor was away on vacation. And I got a phone call from somebody in the church and they started pouring out what was going on in their lives and the problems and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm not kidding you, I'm sitting here listening saying, I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to say. Lord, I need you to work. And they stopped and breathed and were waiting for a response. And I said, okay, and I opened my mouth and all of a sudden I knew what to say. That's not all the time, you know what I mean? But there are times and places he will do that. And that's that, that God lives in us. The God of the universe lives in us. The God who loved us and saved us lived in us. The God who started the church and intends for us to reach the ends of the earth. And, and so we're supposed to be in motion doing that. This is the God who lives within me in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember this and let him have his way. You'll never regret following the Holy Spirit's promptings. And by the way, the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Bible. He's God and He's actually the one who inspired the people to write the Bible. So he doesn't contradict himself. All right, so we need to stop there. Um, we're going to pick up at the end of chapter 2 next week and uh, talk about what was ex making this new body exciting. Okay, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that when we receive you as Savior, that he moves in, that you move in, in the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, we remember that, that we would be yielded to you in that, that we'd saturate ourselves with, our, with your word so we can recognize when the Spirit is, is actually telling us something. And I uh, pray it should be honored and glorified in us as we do that. Teach us with our struggles in learning to do it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.